Okay, uh, if you don't have a Bible, it would be good to pick it up while we're waiting. Okay, can you hear me now? Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you, uh, we come to the book of Proverbs with a sense of expectation. And uh, we pray that you will uh, truly guide us to understand what it says. For truly we live in a world which is complex and difficult and full of difficult decisions that we have to make. And uh, as we want to please you in this life, in this world, in our walk in Christ, we pray that you may guide us on how to live wisely in this world. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I want you to uh, just uh, think back <coughs> to a time in your life. And I'm sure all of us have experienced this, except probably the most uh, self-satisfied of us. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've said to yourself, what a fool I've been. Right? Have you ever, have, has that ever happened to you before? You know, like, I remember reading about this golfer, it's a very famous case, you can Google it, about how he won a golf tournament, but he didn't properly check his score, and he signed for the wrong score, and he lost this major tournament, and he said, what a stupid I am. Right? Has there ever been a time where you felt that way? Where you sort of think, what a stupid I've been, what a fool I've been. Now, if that's ever happened to you, I'm sure that when you think back to that, it's, uh, it must be a very painful experience because when we think like that, uh, it obviously has been something which is very significant, very major that's happened to us to make us realize that we've been really foolish in the way that we've acted. And I'm sure that none of us would ever want to experience that again or go back to that experience gladly. So, the only way to avoid being a fool is to be wise. I mean, that's logical, right? The only way to stop being a fool is to live in a wise way. And really, that's what Proverbs is all about. How to live wisely. Now, um, it begins uh, right at the very beginning, uh, in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying, The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, why is this important? Why does it begin this way? Well, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar with the Bible, Solomon was the king of Israel, was a king of Israel. He was the third king of Israel after his father David and after King Saul. And David, sorry not David, Solomon governed over God's people in God's land Israel at the height of Israel's history. It was the golden period right, of Israel's history. And uh, it was a very, you know, if you look at this map here, you can see what I mean. Okay, so the map is here, it's up here. Okay, so uh, the orange part is the part which was ruled by Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel. The purple part was the part which was ruled by uh, you know, the, the, the next person after King Saul, which was King David, which was Solomon's father. And uh, Solomon expanded it to the green part, plus all this part in between. Right? So, obviously, uh, this was the golden period of Israel's history. Uh, they ruled the, the biggest part of land they would ever rule. Uh, they were the wealthiest they would ever be, and uh, they were most, the most influential they would ever get. Now, how did they get this way? Uh, is it because Solomon was a very powerful person, powerful personality, he had lots of armies? No, uh, because if you read the Bible, actually Solomon uh, had a reputation for wisdom. He was a wise person. Okay, so in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 23 to 25, right, this is the reputation that King Solomon had. He said, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience of Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone 
who came brought a gift, articles of silver, gold, robes, weapons and spices and horses and mules. Okay, so King Solomon was the first and original management consultant of the world, right? Because, you know, everybody paid him for his advice. Okay, but he was a very wise man. Okay, and 1 Kings chapter 4, the next slide, says the same thing, right? God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the men of the east. Okay, so uh, it means everything on the other side of the ocean. And greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than any other man, than, including Ethan the Ezraite. Must be a very wise person, right? Wiser than He-Man, Kalkol, and Dada, the sons of Mahol. And his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So here, uh, Solomon was very wise. But why was he wise? Uh, was he wise because he did his MBA in Harvard or went to Oxford or Cambridge? Why was he a very wise person? This is something that he acquired himself. Well, actually, the Bible says that the wisdom of Solomon was given by God. God made him wise. God was the one who gave him the insight to be able to be wise. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse uh, 3 to 10 to 13, right, uh, God appeared to Solomon in a dream and asked him what he could give him. Right, what, what, what did Solomon want? And Solomon said to him he wanted wisdom. So in verse 9, Solomon said to God, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong, for who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. So God said to him, Since you have asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. So the point that uh, I think is being made right from the very first verse is that the book of Proverbs as we read it today is not just proverbial wisdom that you can go to a popular bookshop and go to the self-help section and read all the Proverbs. It is not a wisdom that comes from observation, from empirical evidence and you know you make uh, deep thinking and you make shrewd deductions. But at its heart, the teaching of Proverbs comes from the revelation of God. Right? It, is the, it is not just observation, but it's a revealed wisdom that comes, that God gave to Solomon. And I think the bottom line is that when we come to the book of Proverbs, therefore, we should treat it as part of the Bible, and as much the Word of God as other parts of the Bible. Right? So when we come to the, to the book of Proverbs, as you do your Bible studies, as you read it, as you listen to it during the sermon, I want you to take it as seriously as you do the Gospels of Jesus Christ. So I know that uh, some of your Bibles, you know, you look at your Bibles and if you turn to the Gospel of Luke or John or Matthew, you have all these red letters in it. You know, the red letters. And they all represent the words of Jesus. And I think that that's actually really unhelpful uh, why the publishers put the words of Jesus in red. Because it seems to tell people that the words of Jesus are more special than the rest of the Bible, which is in black. Isn't it? Why put it in red? It's like highlighting it and says, this is more important. But the, the red letters or the red words which represent the words of Jesus are not more the words of God any more than the book of Proverbs is. 
the fact that the book of Proverbs is in the Old Testament, right, that is part of our Bible, tells us that we should pay attention as much to the book of Proverbs as we do the Gospels and the words of Jesus. So we need to pay close attention to what we're reading here and respect it as much as God's word as we do the other parts of the Bible. Now what will we get by paying attention to the book of Proverbs? Well, look what it says there in verse 2. It says there, For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. Now, (coughs) the ideas that are being uh, repeated here, if you look at verse 2 and 3, is the idea of wisdom, discipline and prudence. Okay, I know for some of you who use your ESV Bibles, uh, the word discipline is not there, but it's actually replaced by the word instruction. But they all sort of come under the same type of uh, meaning. Now, wisdom is different from knowledge. Wisdom is different from data. Wisdom is different from information or just being smart. Wisdom is actually knowledge plus using that knowledge to make the right decision. Right? Wisdom is making right choices. See, wisdom without action is useless. You know, I remember, uh, if you look at the newspaper, sometimes people say, I remember listening to this political leader in America, they said, you know, the answer to drugs, the problem of drugs in America is education. Well, that's what he said. But the thing is, educating people doesn't stop them from doing the wrong thing. You can have knowledge, but without action, it is useless. So, I I went on a tour recently (coughs) to Spain, and together with me, I hope he's not listening to this sermon, uh, was a leading cardiologist. You know, a cardiologist, he does heart surgery on this tour. But I remember we were going on tour, and every time we went on tour, once in a while he would disappear. So one day I decided to follow him, right? I'm very curious, I said, what's he doing? And he's going off to smoke a cigarette, right? Then I, I, I bumped him and said, hey, you know, what are you doing smoking a cigarette? You're a cardiologist. And he said, oh, well, you know, it's very stressful in my practice. You know, I decided to take up smoking. And so you see, knowledge, he knows that smoking is bad for him. I mean, he's a cardiologist, he knows smoking is bad for him, but he still smokes. See, knowledge without action is useless. And, but here, uh, the book of Proverbs doesn't teach us just knowledge, it teaches us wisdom. And wisdom, as he's used there, is always about knowledge together with action. And that's why it says there, for attaining wisdom and discipline. Those two words are sort of related. Discipline. Now, when you think of discipline, uh, the ESV uses the word instruction. It's not about like caning someone, right? Discipline, I punish you. Discipline is the idea of where you submit yourself to an authority greater than you. That's why the ESV uses the word instruction rather than discipline. And when you think of discipline, uh, you sort of think of athletes. You know, athletes are very disciplined. They are in control of what they eat. They're in control of how much they sleep. They're in control of how much they exercise, of their schedule. They have mastery over it. And when I think of a very disciplined athlete, uh, I don't know who comes to your mind. I think of Rafael Nadal. Right? Nadal is a very disciplined. I mean, he's very fit, right? And I remember reading about him how his uh, coach is this guy called Uncle Tony, who's really his uncle. And when he was very young, even after he won a tournament, I think it was a Sunday he won a tournament. His uncle Tony woke him up the next day at about 6 o'clock in the morning to go training. And Rafael Nadal said that how he was very angry that his uncle woke him up because he won the tournament the day before. So why should he go training today? 
But his uncle Tony said, no, just because you won the tournament doesn't mean that you have to stop training, you have to train as per normal. So when you think of Rafael Nadal, this is a person who is disciplined. He's willing to submit to the authority of his uncle and uh, train. And that's exactly what uh, this word is talking about, is the idea of discipline and sitting under authority. And if you do not have discipline, uh, the book of Proverbs is meaningless to you. Because you will not be able to put into practice what it teaches you. You must sit under the book of Proverbs. Now if you turn with me to uh, chapter 1 verse 10, right, which was read to us, we're not going to go uh, in detail from verse uh, 8 onwards. But in verse 10, uh, it instructs uh, the son. It says that if sinners entice you, uh, do not give in to them. If they say, come along with us, let us lie and wait for someone's blood. Let us waylay some harmless soul. Let us swallow them alive like the grave or whole like those who go down to the pit. Right, go on and go on. It says, do not follow them. Now, the thing is, if you do not have discipline, you will not listen to the book of Proverbs. Because it is easier to follow the crowd than it is to sit under the instruction of, as it says here, the parent, right, or the father, or the mother. It takes discipline to say no, uh, to actually say no to people, and not fall under peer influence or peer pressure, and to sit under the, the instruction of what the book of Proverbs of God tells you. So prudence as well, the next word prudence, is the same idea of navigating to life and making the right decisions. So the thing that uh, I think impresses upon us if you listen to the book of Proverbs is if you want to learn from the book of Proverbs you need to take concrete action if you think that going through life it's all about just going with the crowd going with the flow right just cruising along then you will not be a wise person you will not learn wisdom discipline or prudence and if you're a young person and you think that uh, life is all about just computer games and doing what comes naturally then again, you cannot sit and learn from the book of uh, of Proverbs. But in verse uh, 3b, it says that the book of Proverbs is more than just um, actions which are proverbial, right? I mean, so you look there in verse 3b, it says, it's for learning what, doing what is right and just and fair. See, Proverbs is not about getting ahead in life. Um, When I was younger, I had a small book on Proverbs, and the idea we get of Proverbs is always about just, okay, the shortest point between where I am now to where I want to go. Right? In the world that we live in, it's a very utilitarian view of Proverbs. So, I need to get to my objective. What is the most efficient way of getting there? So, if I have to step on others, that's okay. I'll just have to make sure I get my boots on and step, right? But, actually, the book of Proverbs in the Bible is not that sort of proverb. Uh, the, pro- the, the, the sort of teaching in the book of Proverbs is all about not just wisdom and prudence and discipline, but it's about doing what is right, just and fair. It's about spiritual and character development. It's about the formation of a moral character. So, what is important here is that when you read the book of Proverbs, you may find that actually if you follow the book of Proverbs, you may not actually be materially better off you may not actually get to the objective that you want to get to. So if you look up here on this slide, oh, next one. Okay, yep, look what it says there. 
So the Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Now, in the world we live in today, if you want to get rich, maybe the advice would be, uh, you know, you can have dishonest scales as long as no one catches you. But then, that's not what the book of Proverbs is interested in. The, the book of Proverbs is actually interested in what God wants for your life. See, what is the book of Proverbs about? I like what somebody once said. The, good, the book of Proverbs is God's instructions for God's people living in God's land. Right? Isn't that what the book of Proverbs is about? It was written by Solomon, written for the people. It was God's instruction for God's people living in God's land. So, it's teaching God's people how to live in the promised land. And uh, that me- meant that they had to be pleasing to God. So, reading Proverbs, if you're reading Proverbs because you want to get rich, then again, uh, the book of Proverbs is not going to get you there. It's not going to fulfill that purpose. It's the wrong book for you, right? Maybe you should read uh, How to Think and Get Rich by Napoleon Hill or something else, right? Because it says there in uh, chapter 30, verse 7, it says, uh, Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Uh, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Right, here's a person who doesn't want to get rich. But give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. See, you notice here that uh, wisdom is saying right, that it is not the most important thing to get rich. But what is the most important thing? The most important thing is not to disown God. And that actually by getting too rich, you can actually be too independent of God and disown God. So as you look at this uh, book of Proverbs, remember it's always about God's instructions on how to live as God's people and living in the land. See, the uh, this speaker, Christopher Ash, once said, you know, the Ten Commandments are very helpful, but the Ten Commandments don't really teach you how to put it into practice. And he made a very good point. He said, you know, in all his years as a pastor, no one has ever came up to him and said, you know, I'm really having problems with my boss at work. Can you please pray for me that I don't murder him? Right? Nobody ever, nobody ever says that, isn't it? But people will come to you and people will struggle. I will struggle with difficult neighbours. We will struggle with difficult bosses. We will deal with corruption. We will deal with family problems, marital problems, uh, uncooperative colleagues, relationships, situations which are all practical. So that's where the book of Proverbs comes in. Uh, Not how to get rich, not the shortest point between two points, but how to live as God's people, right? As, you know, His people faithfully in this world. We no longer live in the promised land, but in the world that we live in. Now, in verse 4 to 5, who is it written to? Who is it to whom is it written to? If you look at the outline, that's where we're at. Verse 4, For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Uh, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. Now here, it says that uh, it is for giving prudence to the Simple. The simple are not those who lack education, who uh, are deficient in their intelligence, not very clever or smart. The simple basically are those who are neither good or bad, they just are like a blank page. They are simple people in the sense that they don't know the things of this world, they ain't experienced in life. 
And it's a very dangerous position to be, to be simple, because when you're faced with situations, you don't know what you need to do. And that's why uh, the simple are actually parallel to the young, because generally, young people are inexperienced, are naive in this world. The young people think they know a lot, but actually they don't, right? Okay, they, they think that they're experienced, but they're not, because they haven't gone through life. And that's why, if you look up here in uh, Proverbs chapter 7, it describes the, uh, the young and the simple this way, right? So, uh, I've taken it from the section which talks about the danger of the uh, prostitute or the adulterer, adulteress, preying on the young or the simple. So, uh, this uh, uh, teaching in verse 6 of chapter 7 says, At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice, and I saw among the simple... I notice among the young men, a youth who lack judgment. See, the simple person, the young person, they lack judgment, they are naive, they are inexperienced. So they are faced with an unfamiliar situation, they are easily taken in. So it says here, if you are young, if you are simple, you need to study the book of Proverbs. You need to understand Proverbs to see what the world is really like. But it doesn't stop there because in verse 5 it says, Let the wise listen and add to their learning, let the discerning get guidance. So it's not just the simple and the young, but it's also the wise and the discerning. Those who are older, those who have experienced life, they also need Proverbs. Right? Like someone said, if you're too old to learn, you are too old. Right? You never graduate from learning from the book of Proverbs. There's always more things to learn. So the simple, the young, the wise, the discerning, they all, everybody needs to learn from the book of Proverbs. But in verse 7, there's a group of people who fail to understand what the book of Proverbs is all about. In verse 7b, it says, But fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you actually notice here, there's a parallel between verse 7b and uh, verse 2a, right? Proverbs is for attaining wisdom and discipline, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now, in the book of Proverbs, there are two groups of people. Uh, there are those on one side who are willing to be wise and discerning and listen to what Proverbs is teaching, but on the other side, there are those who are called fools. Okay, next slide. And in the subcategory of fools, there are mockers uh, and also the simple ones who love the simple ways. Okay, now, the difference between the two groups of people is there's one group of people who are willing to learn, whether they are young or whether they are you know, simple or whether they are wise or discerning, they are willing to submit and humble themselves under the word of God and Proverbs and learn. But there's another group who, who despise, who hate and mock wisdom. And they will never learn. There is no benefit to them from the book of Proverbs. It doesn't matter whether uh, they are successful and smart or rich in life. If you are not willing to submit yourself to God's word in the book of Proverbs, it says that you will not get wisdom and you will not get knowledge. So as we come to the book of Proverbs, uh, the question that Proverbs is asking you right from the very beginning is, are you, a, are you someone who is willing to recognize that you need wisdom and knowledge? Uh, do you find yourself saying to yourself very often, I can't stand it when people tell me what to do. Are you that sort of person? Do you, do you feel that you know everything and you don't need anybody to tell you anything? Well then, 
you're actually a fool, isn't it? Uh, you, you will never learn from the book of Proverbs. You can read it a hundred times, you'll never learn because you always feel that you know more than what God is saying in the book of Proverbs. Or maybe you're a mocker. Um, I find a lot of mockers. I meet a lot of mockers these days. I don't know why. I, but they're always mocking things, making fun of things. Right? Uh, people do the right things and they mock it. People say wise things, they mock it. Are you that sort of person, you know? Closed mind, open mouth. You always have an opinion, but you're never learning. Okay? Well, that's what, that's what I'm talking about here. If, if you have the attitude where you despise wisdom and discipline, you will not learn and you will not grow and you will not benefit from the book of Proverbs. Well, how are we to learn? Well, in verse 6 there, it says, it's for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Now, uh, it tells us the, the genre or the type of literature uh, that Proverbs is. It is not historical writing, right? It's not Judges that we learned last year. It is not a gospel which talks about the life of Jesus. Neither is it prophetic writing like the book of Revelation. But rather, it is to help us understand life through uh, Proverbs, understanding parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. And it's quite hard to read. That you, you can't sit down and read. You know, you can read... Uh, the Gospel of Luke in one shot, you know, there's a beginning, there's an end, there's a story, there are characters. But here, you know, when you read Proverbs, you actually need to take your time. You, you can't read it from chapter 1 to the end and sort of expect to understand it. You need to really take your time to understand it. Like uh, this pastor, Dale Davis, said, it's like cheese on a pizza. You know, a cheese on a pizza, you, you, you sort of take the piece of pizza off and the pieces of cheese are sort of all clinging together. It's kind of really messy, right? So that's what... Well, that's what Proverbs is like. You know, it sort of hangs together, but in a really messy way. Right? Sometimes it makes sense here, then it links to the other part. And sometimes it seems to be totally unrelated. Sometimes it seems to be making a joke. Well, it requires us to think because of the type of literature it is. We need to mull over it and chew over it. Okay, and that's where we need to do hard work. When you come to the book of Proverbs, you need to do the hard work yourself and understand it and apply it to your life. Now, I'm going to give you an illustration. This is Proverbs chapter 26. Okay, this, from now on, coming to the end of the sermon, you need to do a bit more thinking, right? Okay. Look at what it says here. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him yourself. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Okay, now this comes in two verses, one after another. Now, if you're reading this, you must think to yourself, hey, you know that Solomon is not that wise after all, right? I mean, here he is saying completely opposite things right next to each other. Do I answer the fool or not? Right? Well, why is he putting it this way? Well, I think that uh, the commentary made a very good point. So when you read com- uh, Proverbs, right, some of it is universal truth. Avoid the adulteress. Do not cheat. Do not lie. Do not use dishonest scales. But many Proverbs are based on doing the right thing at the right time at the right circumstance. Right? Proverbs is time-sensitive and circumstance-sensitive. You can only do the right thing at the right time and the right circumstance. Right? You, 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 know, you, you can't apply it in every situation. You need to think through the situation and think through how to apply it at the right time. And that's why it takes hard work. And maybe that's why it's also popular. Because we want quick answers. Right? It's just like... Um, just like my children, you know, when they're doing their exam questions, they don't want to know how to work the question out. Just give me the answer, right? Okay? So I remember Joshua Ng, who came to uh, preach at our church a few uh, weeks ago. 
I remember once we were here and we were listening to the sermon and he said, you know, part of the problem in the particular sermon is people don't want to do the hard work of understanding the Bible. You know, the context, the words, the, you know, uh, what is the, what, how does it relate to everything else? People just want the answers. Right? If you go to some churches, that's all they do. They just give you answers, right? Three steps to this, seven steps to this, you just do this and uh, everything will be okay. And then later on, when you ask them, why do you do this? They say, oh, my pastor told me to do it. But actually, uh, Proverbs forces us to do the hard work of understanding what it means and applying it to the situations in our life. See, Proverbs is not junk food, right? It's like a, a, a good piece of steak. I don't know, wagyu beef or something, right? Now, when you eat steak, and you cut the piece of steak and you put it in your mouth, what do you need to do? The next step. You need to chew it, isn't it? You need to chew it and chew it and chew it and mull over it until it gets soft enough to swallow. Okay? It's, uh, that's what you have to do with Proverbs. You need to chew on it and reflect on it and think about it. How does this work? Why does he say this? It is not uh, like McDonald's. Because I don't eat McDonald's very often, but I went to have McDonald's the other day uh, <coughs> when, I, when I was in Spain. I got sick of all the food, so we had McDonald's. Right? So, you know, McDonald's is really interesting. You know, you can finish a burger in five mouthfuls. You just like, put it in there, right? You don't have to chew it because it's all processed for you. You just sort of chew it. You put it in your mouth. After two chews, it's all soft enough. You just swallow it. You can finish it really quickly. See, it's not like that. Proverbs is something where you really need to think about it. I think, why does he say this? What does it relate to being a, a, a person living in God's world, right? So, that's what you have to do. You have to chew and think over it. So the first lesson, and I think this is the most important lesson that everybody says, this is the most important verse of the whole Proverbs, is verse 7. What is the first thing that we must learn before we even begin anything, before we begin our quest for wisdom? Verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Now what it's saying here is that before you begin anything, uh, the gate through which you must enter to understand knowledge and get wisdom is that you must fear the Lord. Two things you must notice here. The first thing is the Lord is all in capital letters. If you look in your Bible, right? L-O-R-D, all capital letters. Uh, L-O-R-D, whenever you find that in the Bible, it means Yahweh. It is the, the name of God that He gave Himself when He made the covenant with Israel, when He brought Israel out of Egypt. So when you read covenant, L-O-R-D, the covenant God, it means the covenant God. So what he's saying is, before you even begin your quest for wisdom and knowledge, you need to have a relationship with this covenant God. It makes sense for God's people living in God's land, right? Because they lived in God's land. God had called them out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. They were living in the promised land. If they did not recognize this God, it was... A very foolish thing. It was the height of foolishness. But even for ourselves who live this side of the cross, we don't want, we're not living in Israel now, we're living in Singapore, right? If we do not recognize God, we, are, we, we cannot be wise in anything else. We are fools. That's what the Bible says. So Romans chapter 1, it says this, right? For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools 
and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. See, if you live life without knowing God, right, it says that you cannot have knowledge. You can have knowledge in any other way, you can have, you have wisdom in any other way, but if you do not know God, you cannot be a wise person. Now recently, uh, just last week actually, I was reading this book, uh, which is really interesting about evil, and it said that uh, uh, this guy was walking through the forest with his friend, and uh, one was a Christian and one was atheist, right? Just, it's just a hypothetical story. And they walked into the forest and they saw this big glass sphere about the height of a man, right? About, you know, maybe uh, 1.52 meters big, right? Okay? And they saw this sphere, the atheist and the Christian. They said, wow, where did this glass sphere come from, right? It's, it's a perfect, perfect circle, perfect round object. Must be made by someone. So then the, this Christian was talking to this atheist and said, okay, let's say this sphere was bigger. Instead of you know, three meters, three, three, three kilometers big, then would you still say it's made by someone? Then you say, yeah, of course it's made by someone, right? Imagine this sphere was 300 kilometers big. It's perfectly round. Would you say it's made by someone? Yes, you would. And then imagine that this sphere was the size of the galaxy of the universe. Would you say it's made by someone? And then the atheist said, no, it's just there. Right? Now, you see, that doesn't make sense, you see, because if you come across something which is intelligently designed, then there must be a designer. I mean, that's just one of the arguments he was giving. And in a sense, it's foolish behavior, right? Because it's failing to acknowledge God. So what it's saying here is the beginning of knowledge demands that we acknowledge God. But it goes on to say that it is the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. Now, what is the fear of the Lord? Now, fear here is not terror or hiding and screaming in the corner of your room with a blanket over your head, right? But it's the nature of your relationship with God, uh, one of all respect and reverence. So in Exodus chapter 20, verse 20, which is up here, right? Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. So, how can you not be afraid and still fear God? Okay, I think... We can have fear as an emotion, right? You know, I'm really scared. I'm trembling. I'm sweating, right? I can be really f- afraid emotionally. But God is not saying be afraid emotionally of Him, no. He's saying attitudinally. What is your attitude to God? Your attitude to God, your relationship to God as an attitude, not as an emotion, is one of fearing Him, of awe, of respect, of submission, of reverence. That's what He, that's what is the nature of a relationship with God. We do not sit above God in a relationship. We're not equal with God in a relationship. We sit under God in a relationship. That is what it means to fear God. And therefore, what it's saying is the starting point of wisdom and the continuing point of wisdom must always be the fear of God. Okay? Now, um, this attitude of fearing God is, goes through all the way in the book of Proverbs, whether we recognize it or not. It's, it's sort of like the hidden you know, understructure of the whole thing which holds Proverbs together. That's why it's so different from other Proverbs. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 16, right, if you have a look up here on this slide, this is where you start using your mind a bit more, right? Uh, there's a long section here about the danger of adultery. And it says, it, wisdom, okay, because it refers to wisdom early on, wisdom will save you also from the adulteress and from the wayward wife with her seductive words, who left the partner of her youth 
and ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and a path to the spirit of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the path of life. Now obviously when you read it uh, uh, in your NIV, uh, it will just say adulterous and wayward wife. Now for some of your other Bibles, I think some of you who study Bibles or your ESV Bibles, you might have a footnote. Uh, you can look at your Bibles now to see whether you've got the footnote. But actually, the word there, adulterous, uh, is not literally the word adulterous. It literally means it will save you from the strange woman. The strange woman. Okay? And the wayward wife, uh, actually, if you look at the footnote, means foreign woman. Okay, so wisdom will save you from the strange woman and the foreign woman. But obviously, the NIV has translated it to us because, you know, it wouldn't make sense to us, right? The strange woman, the foreign woman. What is he talking about? The woman, the women, Orchard Towers, right? What is he talking about, right? Because how are they strange and how are they foreign, these women? So that's why the Bible translates it to us as, you know, adulterous and wayward wife. But why are they strange and foreign? Does the Bible have problems with foreigners or strange people? Right. Um, well, if you do the hard work of looking at this passage, uh, they are not strange and foreign in the sense that they are ethnically non-Israelite or racially non-Israelite. Because in verse 17, she has ignored the covenant she has made of God. She is a covenantal person. She is part of God's people living in God's land. She is an Israelite. So what makes this woman strange and foreign? Well, she is strange and foreign. That's why you have to start thinking, right, when you do Proverbs. She is strange and foreign because she's a stranger to God. She is foreign to God. She's a stranger and a foreigner to the covenant relationship that God has to His people. Right? That's why she's a stranger. When we look at her, she's living in a strange way. She's foreign because she doesn't live in a covenant relationship with God. Are you with me so far? So, Basically, what the, this pastor is saying is, if you follow this woman who is a strange woman, a foreign woman, then the path of her life leads to death. She will never attain the path of life. Right? Notice that she will never attain the path of life. Now, again, the question we have to ask ourselves is, what does it mean, death and life? Does it mean physical death and physical life? Does it mean brain dead, heart not beating? Or does it mean something else? Now again, when you just read that little section in the book of Proverbs, it's not clear whether it means spiritual life or spiritual death or physical death, physical life. But within the whole of the Bible, uh, it makes sense that what he's talking about is judgment and hell, isn't it? It's talking about salvation and heaven. So, what this passage is actually saying is, if you live as a stranger to God, as a foreigner to Yahweh, then your path will be to judgment and hell, and you will not attain heaven and salvation. And if you follow people who are strangers and foreigners to a relationship with God and the way that they live, again, you will not attain the path of life and you will lead to death. So that makes sense that, therefore, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Because if you live your life in such a way that you spend the rest of your eternity in hell, then that is not a wise way of living. So in conclusion, are you a fool or are you wise? 
You will only be wise if you are willing to sit under God's word, the book of Proverbs. And God's word says first and foremost that you need a relationship of fear with Him. If you don't fear the Lord, then you have nothing. You are a fool. You are not wise in any way. Uh, this uh, pastor in England called Hugh Palmer said that there was a TV station in England where they wanted to get the, the, watch, the people who were watching TV to call in or SMS in to come up with a modern day Ten Commandments. Right? They wanted to you know, see what people thought would, would be relevant modern day Ten Commandments. So they came up with 20 commandments instead of 10 in the end. And many of them were very familiar. Respect your mother and father, look after your children, you know, things like that. But four of the original Ten Commandments didn't make it to the twenty. Can you guess what those four were? Those which relate to God. Right? Do not make idols, honor, my, you know, honor, keep Sabbath, all this sort of stuff. But it sort of shows you that the world we live in is living in a foolish way. Right? It's not living in a wise way. Because without the fear of the Lord, you cannot be wise. Without the fear of the Lord, there is not even the beginning of wisdom. You have not even entered through the gates. You haven't even started school yet. So let us truly uh, be humble, uh, truly uh, recognize that we are not wise, that we are simple, that we are young, even if we are wise and discerning, that we still have lots to learn. And let us truly uh, sit under the instruction and be to learn wisdom and discipline and prudence in our life. And first and foremost, let us fear the Lord. Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that as we study the book of Proverbs, <coughs> we will come with the right attitude of wanting to, to attain wisdom and discipline and prudence whether we be young and simple, whether we, we be wise and discerning, may we always see that there is a great need for us to learn how to live as your people. Dear Father, we pray that we will not be mockers or fools or simple who love our simple ways, who, who feel that we have all the answers in life, who feel that we have nothing to learn, who feel that truly we just want to go through life living it and not thinking about it. Dear Father, for all of us here, we pray that we will have a relationship of fearing you in our hearts. That we will sit in submission to you, to recognize you as our God, and to be instructed by your word. And we truly pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.